having a good cadence of company-wide meetings, sharing written notes after the meeting so people know what the main priorities, focus areas are. So it's culture, connection, and communication. And you kind of have to be really thoughtful about those three Cs. Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a Bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. This is your host, Jordan Peace. Today, we get to sit down with Jonathan Sidharth. Jonathan is the founder and CEO of Turing. If you don't know Turing, which you probably do, it's a hiring platform for remote engineers. Turing's mission is to help unleash the world's untapped human potential. Jonathan, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. Yeah, this will be fun. I love what your company does. It's so, so important. I run a tech startup. I know how hard it is to recruit engineers. Doing that remotely has been helpful to us, really opened up the talent pool, if you will. So that's been nice. But also, we're competing with almost everybody these days as well. So what you're doing is of utmost importance, could not be more relevant right now in the market. But I'd love to hear about how you got here. You know, Where was the kind of the passion or the vision? Where did it come from in your life personally to lead you to found a company that does what you do? Yeah. Thank you, Jordan. I mean, the story of Turing really began in 2012 when I was uh, running my first startup. This was a company that I'd started out of uh, grad school at Stanford. And I remember that year 2012 pretty distinctly because it was the first time that I thought we were actually going to fail. And this was a machine learning based content recommendation company. I remember being super stressed at the time because I was looking to raise our Series A. We had a lot of users on the web and we hadn't launched on mobile yet. And every VC on Central Road was turning us down because we didn't have a mobile app yet with tracking. Right. So we had to hire like iOS engineers fast. Right. And I remember at the time looking to hire strong iOS engineers and all the people I wanted to hire were working at Google, Facebook, Apple, etc. It was really hard to hire when we were just restricting the hiring radius to Silicon Valley. Right. So my co-founder Vijay and I at the time like made the decision to look beyond Silicon Valley and look in places where nobody was looking. Yeah. And we were fortunate to find some incredible engineers from Ukraine, Poland, Serbia, China, etc. They mm. joined the team we shipped V1 of our iPhone app, and it won awards with Apple for best apps for content recommendation. Apple invited us to their campus in Cupertino, and I was able to raise the Series A, and the company eventually had a successful acquisition a few years later. So it was that moment where we opened up our hiring radius to the entire planet and not just Silicon Valley that was pivotal in why my first startup was successful. Yeah. 
after selling the company, I took some time off to recharge in 2017. I was invited to be an EAR at Foundation Capital. And I teamed up with my co-founder again. And we were thinking about what we wanted to build next. And it was very clear that the problem that we faced in 2012 had become even more acute by 2018, where in a world powered by technology, the hardest thing is to find great engineers. That's the scaling constraint. And this is even pre-pandemic. And when COVID hit, it really accelerated the world shift to remote work. And today we live in a remote first world. Every tech company today is in a race to reap the benefits of remote engineering talent. If you look at Airbnb, Twitter, Square, all of these companies want to go remote. Even traditional companies like Siemens, Ford, Rivian, etc. are also going remote first. The reasons are obvious. You get to tap into a planetary pool of engineers. You get to look in previously untapped geographies that nobody's looking. Everyone's seen the magic of distributed teams. Right. But remote is hard, and it's hard for three big reasons. First, it can be really hard to build a large enough global pipeline to find truly great people. If you are um, a head of engineering at um, OpenAI, one of our customers, it can be really hard to build a large enough global pipeline to find truly great people. Like, for example, if you wanted 50 Golang engineers from Brazil, you might need to build a pipeline of at least 500 or maybe even 5,000 Golang engineers, and that might be tough. And second, evaluating a global engineering talent pool can be hard because we are not familiar with educational systems, work experiences that these remote engineers might have. For example, if you looked at an amazing software engineer from Sao Paulo, Brazil, you may not see Stanford Berkeley in her educational background. You may not see Google, Facebook, Apple in her work experience. She could be a great engineer, but there's no signal in the resume. So how do you evaluate these global engineering these global engineers without sucking up all of your internal teams interviewing bandwidth, right? right? Like without having to burn all of your cycles interviewing. So that's hard. And the third thing, Jordan, that's the hardest thing about working with a remote team is if you ask any company, what's the hardest thing about managing a remote team? They'll tell you it's communication, right? Communication is hard because time zones are hard. Often the right kind of daily communication, weekly communication, performance management doesn't happen. Often the manager doesn't have enough visibility into the work being done. Is this person really working? Are they working on the right things? It can be hard to onboard people. It can be hard to, I mean, if you're Johnson & Johnson, one of our customers, it can be hard to solve for security. So Mm. number one, building a large enough global pipeline is hard. Number two, evaluating a global engineering talent pool can be hard without sucking up all of your interviewing bandwidth. And number three, ongoing management of a remote team can be hard for communication, security, and other reasons. Totally. So we asked ourselves a simple question. What if we solve all of this with software? Mm. Like what if we had software that could source engineers from a planetary pool? What if we had software that could automatically vet engineers for a Silicon Valley bar? What if we had software that could use machine learning to match the right developers to the right jobs? Mm. And what if we had software that could solve for ongoing management and collaboration after you found the perfect remote developer. Software, 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 software. Yeah. This is why we built Turing. So Turing's creating a new category, and we call this category Talent Cloud. It's a distributed team of developers in the cloud that's sourced by software, vetted by software, matched by software, and managed by software. Hmm. We want to create this magical experience where 
let's say Jordan, one of your podcast listeners, let's say wants to start a company and imagine them traveling with their laptop to a beautiful beach in Bali and they open their laptop and just as easily as they spin up servers on Amazon, on AWS, right. what if they could spin up an engineering dream team in the cloud mm. with just a few buttons? And that's what we are building here. Wow. I love it. I mean, what a vision. And I can't imagine another way to solve the problems that you just laid out, except maybe an incredibly large workforce doing a lot of manual processes, which would be exceedingly expensive, even if you guys provided the service on behalf of your customers. So I think the one that, well, I mean, they both interest me. All three of those ideas interest me. Building the pipeline, I think I can get my head around exactly how you guys do that or a pretty educated guess. I'm curious around if you'll dig into evaluating. And then after that, I'd love to get into the ongoing communication, which I think is kind of the most relevant part to our podcast and our focus on culture and so forth, because we need to communicate with these folks. We also need to kind of integrate them and kind of bring them into the fold in certain ways so that they don't feel completely disconnected. But first, talk a little bit more about evaluating this talent pool and the matching and so forth that takes place. It's super interesting. Yeah. So when we talk about evaluating the talent pool and how we match them, it starts with uh, first building a Silicon Valley caliber vetting engine in the cloud for software developers. Mm -hmm. And we think about vetting as this three-dimensional thing where the first dimension is we went for a wide variety of job types, like front-end, back-end, mobile, AI, data science, DevOps, et cetera. The second dimension is tech stacks. So for yeah. example, if we want to vet for a full-stack developer, we think about, okay, what front-end framework do we vet for? Is it React? Is it Angular? Is it Vue? What back-end framework? Is it Node? Is it Django? Is it JSP? What have you? And there's a hundred different technologies that we vet for. Sure. And the third dimension is the seniority level journey. Like all engineers are not the same. Like we have engineers at a IC level, an individual contributor level, or a tech lead level, or a tech lead manager, or an engineering manager, or a director of engineering. So there is an engineering ladder that in Silicon Valley, there is some level of consistency around across Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, et cetera. Right. So all it comes together from these companies with great engineering cultures like Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, et cetera. And we've built our own engineering ladder and our vetting engine that vets for this trifecta, job type crossed with tech stack, crossed with seniority level. Right. So we know how to vet, for example, a machine learning engineer with an expertise in the Python tech stack who can work at a tech lead level or a backend engineer with an expertise in Java who can work at an engineering manager level. The vetting flow is different. Right. And output of our vetting is what we call a deep developer profile. So this is a detailed, comprehensive, continuously updating vector representation of a developer's strengths and areas for improvement. It's a little bit like how Facebook and Google build user profiles. Like we build developer profiles that are learned from data. Mm -hmm. And engineering interviews in themselves are a pretty fascinating topic. Like right. most interviewing is subjective, inconsistent, and riddled with all sorts of biases. Right. You might have one amazing interviewer and maybe some others who don't interview as well. And unfortunately, people are subject to the whims of the interviewer. So it's a pretty broken process. So we've taken what's broken and built a more objective, data-driven, consistent vetting engine. 
that vets developers for technical skills, communication skills, collaboration skills. We want to make sure that, for example, if we pick a full stack developer, depending on the seniority level, we'll evaluate them for their technical foundations, like data structures, algorithms. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're a very senior developer, we'll also evaluate them for their behavioral skills, systems design skills, things like that. Okay. And we also vet developers on specific tech stacks. So if it's a full stack developer, front end React, back end Node, maybe it's a PostgreSQL database, we vet for all of that. And then we expose the results of the vetting to our machine learned ranking algorithms that combine all of these signals. Each vetting process like generates, I would say, tens of thousands of data points that get used by our ranking algorithms to predict which developer would be a good match for a job. When we show the results of our vetting to a customer, they feel very confident that this is a developer that I can entrust with this important project. And some of our customers don't even interview Turing developers because yeah. they're just so rigorously vetted. Right. We, in fact, like show them like a video replay of the developer coding. So we have a coding test where the developers have to solve some algorithmic uh, problems. And we actually have a video replay of them solving a problem. So customers who are hiring engineers, they just feel really safe with Turing. Yeah. Wow. It's much more than I even bargained for asking the question. Yeah, that's an incredibly thorough approach. And I think as someone who leads a tech company, I would feel really comforted by this idea that, I mean, if I were to compare my own personal approach to trying to hire someone in Brazil, let's say, versus tens of thousands of data points and all of this that's going into building these profiles and ultimately curating the right people for me, it's laughable how little information I would have doing that on my own. And and what's so cool about it is not only opportunistic for companies like mine and others that are listening who need to source engineers, it's also a great opportunity for engineers outside of these giant tech hubs like Silicon Valley to get a shot, to have a chance to actually have an algorithm say, oh, well, you've never worked at Microsoft or Google or Apple, et cetera. However, your skill set, your ability is every bit as qualified as this other person that has the more obvious kind of tip-offs on their resume. I mean, what it's, I like the democratization of what you guys are doing and the opportunity for folks that are a little less, I don't want to, I don't know if privilege is the right word, but a little less in focus. Now, that's really cool. I love that. Just from a very human standpoint, that, that's excellent. And I can see how that's an exciting part of your mission and something that probably gets you excited. Moving into the communication side, if you stopped there, honestly, I mean, you guys would have a beautiful product and a beautiful business, but you take it a step further and really play in the space of helping communications between this hiring company and this remotely sourced engineer. So what all do you guys do and not do in that space post-hire? Yeah, great question, Jordan. So there are a few things that we pay attention to. And so the first is onboarding. We want to make sure that companies are onboarding Turing developers the right way. We give them an onboarding checklist for how to get good productivity from this remote developer. And I would say today it's a lot better. When I started the company in 2018 or so, at that time, I would say the how to work with a distributed team wasn't as well understood. There were these companies like GitLab and a few others that were doing it. But for most companies, they did a pretty terrible job of 
onboarding a remote engineer and help integrating them well into yeah. the broader organization. Totally. I think the last couple of years of forced remote work has actually helped companies develop better processes. Mm. So now we had to do less on the onboarding front, but onboarding was step one. And step two was setting the right expectations for communication with the team. Like, for example, we have guardrails around time zone overlap. For most engineering tech companies, they ask us for like a four-hour time zone overlap. Like sometimes it's a little bit more, a little bit less, but usually it's a four-hour time zone overlap and we've found that to work pretty well. So we have software that the Turing developers install on their machines for Windows, Linux, and Mac that helps them stay on track with respect to the time zones that they're working with. It reminds them to do stand-ups in an asynchronous fashion. So it puts some structure around communication, like the developers do daily stand-ups. The software also tracks productivity to track. Customers want to feel safe that, is this person really working? Are they working on the right things? So it also tracks hours work. So there is integrity of billing. We also have bi-directional performance reviews that the software enforces where the developer is sharing feedback with the manager. The manager is sharing feedback with the developer on an ongoing basis. We've also put some structure around one-on-ones. Like we want to make sure one-on-ones happen between the developer and their manager. And again, for some engineering managers who are already very good at managing distributed teams, they may disable some of these features. But for others, it serves as as good guardrails. The way we think about what we're solving for is really productivity, Uh, security, and trust on both sides. The developers want trust to know that they will be paid. The customers want trust that this person is actually working and I'm paying for actual work being done and and I trust the billing. And we want to do that in a very um, privacy-friendly way. I think there were earlier platforms that to tell whether somebody was working, like they would take screenshots of your machine and send it. Right. That's like a very sort of big brothery way of doing it, which I think turns off a lot of developers. So we don't do any of that, but we try to bake in other sensors, other communication pathways that ensure a high quality collaboration happening after the match. And we have our own team that also checks in with these developers and the customers to make sure everything is on track. Like for us, success is the company has a phenomenal experience working with the engineer throughout the length of the engagement. And we have almost a 97% engagement success rate. And on the developer side, we care about the developer feeling like their career is moving in the right direction. They're working with great companies, building great products and learning. Like we are not a gig platform. Like I would think we are a career platform. Right. We care deeply about leveling the playing field for global talent. We want a developer's opportunity radius to not be jobs they can drive to with a car within 20 minutes, but right. the entire planet. Mm-hmm. We want their opportunity radius to be the entire planet. And for a company, we want their hiring radius to not be people who happen to live near their office. Right. We would like the hiring radius to be the entire planet. Mm. And we think there is magic that happens when you bring the world's best developers together with the world's best companies. I love it. I thank you for sharing all of that about Turing. I mean, just a fascinating very, very, very relevant <laughs> company right now because of the pandemic accelerating things, as you described, because of the tight labor market. And employers are really struggling, probably more than maybe ever, to get the right talent in the door. And so it's just a great help to businesses like mine, and I'm sure many listening. Let's talk a little bit about 
Turing internally, I'm sure you all utilize your own service in order to source folks within and without the United States, I'm sure. So maybe talk about being a company that is remote first, that is really focused on that, big believers in that. What challenges do you face, but also like what big wins do you experience as a result trying to build an organization and build a culture that is by definition, multicultural from a worldwide standpoint. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan. So let me talk about the wins and the challenges. Yeah. And I'll start first with the wins. Uh, So Turing is its own customer, as you can imagine. And because at Turing on the platform, we have almost 1.75 million developers from 140 countries signed up, we have access to a wide talent pool of great people so we can find that perfect developer for our needs. Right? right. When you cast a wide net, you get much, much higher quality that for a wide variety of uh, seniority levels and budgetary needs. So we definitely benefit from that planet-wide reach. When I think about wins for us, I mean, you could ask any tech founder or head of engineering, do you want to hire the best people in the world or do you want to hire the people who happen to live near your office? Right. <laughs> The answer would probably be the best people in the world. There are quality advantages and cost advantages when you mm-hmm. when you look beyond Silicon Valley in New York, right? There are great people all over the US, all over the world, and it helps when you cast that wide net. Yeah. So the win for us has been much higher quality of people that we could hire right. if, than if we if we had just recruited with a smaller radius. And it helps when you move away from these for lack of a better word, overfished ponds. I would say Silicon Valley is definitely overfished. There's a great engineers here, but there's only a limited sort of uh, quantity. And there's a lot of companies looking for just that small pool, which is why it helps when you cast cast a wide net. So those have been the primary benefits. And we've been able to scale by finding some great engineers in other great people in other parts of the US, in LATAM, in Africa, in uh, parts of Asia, in parts of Uh, Central Europe, et cetera. The biggest challenge I would say that comes with a remote distributed team is enforcing culture. And we have to be very intentional about culture in a globally distributed team and helping to create an environment where people build connection with their coworkers and teammates. Communication is different from connection and connection is hard. Like we want to make sure that people form authentic relationships at work they make friends at work and it leads to much better collaboration. And that is always a challenge. And we have some ways in which we address it. I would put that as number two. And the third is really driving communication and alignment. Mm-hmm. And this again, can be hard in a remote distributed yeah. team. So the way we mitigate that is being very, very proactive in async communication, right. having a good cadence of company-wide meetings, sharing written notes after the meeting so people know what the main priorities, focus areas are. So it's culture, connection, and communication. And you kind of have to be really thoughtful about those three Cs. Yeah, I'd love to go deeper. Well, first of all, I should mention, you guys show up on the 2021 Forbes Best Startup Employers, number 13 on a very long list, which is quite high. And yet you're not huddled up in an office And not everybody lives five miles from there. And not everybody maybe even speaks the same primary language or heart language, if you will. 
that is incredibly impressive. It, it's a very hard thing to do. I'm you know, struggling with that personally. We've got maybe 60% of our employees are remote and nowhere near where I am, for example. And so I could give my own tips, but I'd love to hear from you on that connection piece, which I think yeah. is probably the hardest because culture can sometimes simply be, here's a list of values and we all sort of assent to these values and we sort of nod our heads along. And you could almost call that culture, but without connection, without relationship and people feeling like I'm actually appreciated, I'm seen and heard and acknowledged and dignified, right? That sort of quote unquote culture kind of fades pretty quickly without the personal side. So I think that's the big challenge. I'd love for you to speak to just what you all have done. If you've got any ideas for our listeners around Here's how you take a remote distributed team and begin. And the responsibility is not just on the company, to be clear. The responsibility yeah. is with the employees, I'd even say predominantly, to build connection and to really pursue one another. But yeah. how do you and how can our listeners facilitate that connection and help it get started? Yeah, great question, Jordan. As you said, like there is a close connection between culture and and connection. There's a close relationship between the two. Right. So we started first by writing down the main values that we want the company to follow. And right. we do our best to hire, fire, promote, per those values. And in our all hands and other company-wide meetings, we try to celebrate examples where somebody demonstrated our some of our core values. And our core values yeah. are speed, continuous improvement, and customer centricity. So we celebrate instances where somebody demonstrated that. So we are a remote first company, right? And we are one of the larger remote first companies. Like we are almost 900 people. Okay. And we do, the, we highly encourage meetups as we can uh, schedule them. So remote first does not mean you never meet. Like I would say in the last week, we've had three team specific uh, meetups, which covered product sales and the exec team. So you, it helps to meet in person from time to time. Yeah. And like at an exec team level, we make sure that we meet, uh, a bunch of us meet every month. There is a larger group that meets every quarter. And I think it helps to have sufficient unscheduled time when you meet, right. like during those, during those offsites. Yeah. For example, in our most recent offsite, we kind of broke it down into structured it was very agenda driven mm -hmm. and there was structured work. Then there was structured fun. And then yeah. there was unstructured fun. Okay. <laughs> we had those three and the unstructured fun was just a good time for people to go on walks with each other, to do other things with, with each other right. and really build a more human connection. Yeah. So it helps to when the organization gives people that flexibility and puts sufficient structure where these meetups happen from time mm -hmm. to time. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure you have the right people at those meetups, but you want to make sure that those happen. So that helps. And it also helped, like we try to have other traditions in the company that bring people together. Like one of our favorite traditions is every two weeks, we have a celebrating wins meeting where everyone in the team joins that Zoom meeting and everyone, we go around with each individual thanking somebody else on the team, like for their contributions during in the last two weeks. Very cool. And that's one of my favorite meetings where I kind of get to see how different people in the company are helping each other. It just creates a tremendous amount of positivity. Yes. So having like, and different companies might have their own traditions. Right. 
you kind of have to be intentional about creating other ways for people to meet each other outside of Slack messages and Zoom meetings. Right. right? Yeah. The thing to avoid is for work to just be a nonstop set of Slack conversations and Zoom meetings. Yes. And you have to create that empty space. Yeah. It means creating some meetings just for the sole purpose of people getting to know each other. Yeah. If you are running a team, you might have like a meeting with no agenda where mm -hmm. the goal is to maybe have a, a virtual happy hour with people or a virtual meal with people together. Yeah. So you have to be intentional about creating those types of events, like in the real world that bring people together from time to time. Yes. I'm curious, Jordan, like what have you done in your company to build connection? Yeah, I mean, several things. I mean, for one, you mentioned structured and unstructured fun. Yeah, I think both of those are really important. So yes. part of the structured fun on Friday afternoons, after we do our, what we call our what's going on meeting, which is like our company stand up. Right? Yeah, and it's, hey, here's announcements, here's what's happening, here's things that you don't even know about because you're not on the sales team or you're not on the engineering team and just making sure everybody's updated. Then we go and we have what we call brunch because really based on time zones, we're just trying to be ambiguous about what meal this is. And we often just play games. We'll play code names or we'll play some sort of online game and that little bit of competition and that team spirit and you're teamed up with people that you would never otherwise be teamed up with for work. That type of stuff's so important. And then, you know, like you said, getting people together. I think one of the ways that companies can do, can be uh, good stewards of their budgets is to realize if I'm not paying to office every single person in my organization, I'm actually saving a ton of money. So if I take some of that budget and recommit that back to actually flying people, getting people together in person occasionally, even if it's once a year or once a quarter, depending on kind of the span that we're talking about, it's huge. You know, it gets you opportunities to do things. You don't need to see people every day. You don't even need to see them every month, but occasionally to take that walk or to have that coffee or to have that water cooler, quote unquote, conversation, builds some trust that lasts throughout the year, throughout the next quarter. So I think it's hugely important. I told you in the beginning, we were going to get carried away and we were going to go way over our time, which we did. But it's been awesome. I mean, what I took away, so many things. One is that Turing is awesome and a, and a very, very great tool that I should look into personally and so should our listeners. But two, that you can have a remote first company and be a top place to work, a place that is sought after, a place that is multicultural, and yet a place where people want to call home and stick around and are excited to work at. But that takes intentionality. It takes investment. And it takes some structured and unstructured fun in order to facilitate that culture and that connection. So I learned a lot. I took a lot of notes literally on paper right in front of me here on the desk. But Jonathan, I'm just so grateful that you take the time. You're running a 900 person shop and you spend 35 minutes with me. So I'm very, very grateful. That sounds great, Jordan. And before we wrap up, and this was super fun for me as well, we are always like looking for ways to give our remote team members a great experience while they're working remotely. And I thought what Fringe was doing was super interesting. And I was curious. Thank you. I know you're about offering these benefits and perks. Yeah. What are the most popular benefits that, that your larger customers find useful in building, uh, in making their team members happy and helping them retain? 
Well, Jonathan, I appreciate you allowing me to do a bit of a fringe infomercial here with your question. And in the outro, our listeners will hear that Fringe is, is sort of our sponsor. So we do lifestyle benefits. And so what we mean by that is benefits that meet needs in people's life right now. Traditional benefits are great, not knocking those at all, but typically you've got to be sick or disabled or 65 years old or something has to go wrong right in your life for you to benefit from traditional benefits. These are yep. benefits that reduce stress put time back in your day, impact the family positively, spark joy. So what we're talking about is anywhere as simple as grocery and meal delivery all the way to a massage subscription or your Spotify that you listen to when you get in your code cave and you get started and the company provides what you're hearing. What's it going in your headphones while you're doing that? It's very, very diverse in terms of the offerings that we have, but the point of it is really to give a lifestyle stipend every month so that people can pick and choose what's most meaningful to them down to the individual employee and worldwide as well. That's great. Is it just for the U.S. or do you support other countries? It's not. So we're in 55 countries so far and working hard to expand that number as we go. The trick is the services that we offer we are limited by where they offer their service. So some services are worldwide, some are in three continents, some are in five continents, and it just depends on the service. So wherever that individual employee, that user is, yeah. they'll be presented with the services that are available to them, right? Down kind of in a geolocation curation. That's great. And what's the most popular service? In the last few months, it's been DoorDash. Oh, interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I think this month it's probably Airbnb as a result of its kind of vacation time, at least in many areas of the world. And summer is here and it's time to take those trips. So Airbnb has been really hot in the last few weeks. Thanks for sharing, John. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you, Jonathan. I don't often get to talk about Fringe on the podcast, but I appreciate the question. Maybe we can talk offline more. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you to Jonathan. It's been great being with all of you today and we will catch you next week bye-bye thank you for listening to the bragworthy culture podcast if you enjoyed this episode please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes this episode is brought to you by fringe the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform with Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.